Optix has built a platform for SQL-powered security analytics. Extending the OS query agent, Optix collects, aggregates, and analyzes a wide range of system data and makes that available to solve multiple security challenges. Their solution provides visibility across Linux, macOS, Windows, containers, and cloud workloads. Their customers are using the Optix platform for fleet visibility, intrusion detection, investigation, and audit and compliance. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash uptix and be one of the first to see how they've mapped over 500 behavioral rules to the MITRE ATT&CK framework. Cybercriminals are opportunistically targeting industries that continue to operate full tilt during the coronavirus shutdowns and their attacks have grown more sophisticated. Given this shifting landscape, taking the appropriate countermeasures becomes paramount. Mimecast Email Security 3.0 helps you evolve from a perimeter-based security strategy to one that is comprehensive and pervasive with cyber resiliency in mind. From the company that stops at nothing to block cyber threats, Mimecast is offering a fully featured 90-day web security service. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Mimecast to learn more. Welcome back, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly. If you missed Security Weekly Unlocked, you can now access all the content on demand, whether you registered before the live event or not. You can visit securityweekly.com forward slash unlocked. You can register or log in to view all of the content. HD Moore is here with us. He's best known as the creator of Metasploit. I know him as just one of the nicest, if not the nicest people in information security today. HD, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's nice to have you uh, back on. I don't know if you've been on this show before. You're on Business Security Weekly, I think, uh, yeah, previously. Yeah, Security Weekly a couple years ago, I think. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, HD, tell me a little bit about Rumble. It says you're the co-founder. Um, you know, obviously, you uh, left Rapid7. Um, I think the last we talked, you were kind of like, yeah, I'm doing some stuff, but uh, ended up uh, co-founding Rumble. So how did that come together? Oh, the last, like, 20 years has been very focused on, like, uh, offensive security, but also a lot of, like, discovery and recon work. And one thing that kept coming out of, like, every project I worked on, whether it was a pen test, an audit, an assessment, or building out a bone scanning product or a pen test product, was that the discovery section sucks. And no one's really doing discovery well. Um, if you looked at the old generation of discovery tools, they're very focused on authenticated credential discovery using, like, WMI, SNP, things like that. Look at all the new school stuff. It's all very focused on password discovery that requires like tap port access. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's great if you can do it, but it's a lot of infrastructure to be able to support basic inventory. So the idea behind Rumble is that can we do unauthenticated active scan based discovery in a way that's super fast, super quick, doesn't break anything, doesn't crash anything, gives you like a really quick view of what's on the network unless you track it over time. So it, it was kind of fun. It was kind of scratching an itch I've had for about 20 years and um, really focusing in not quite the normal offset security space I've been in for a long time, but really trying to help folks with a, a basic problem that every company seems to have. You know, it's interesting when I do discovery on internal networks, which I'm assuming is what you're referring to. If you were to send a packet to the broadcast address of any local subnet and just hit all the ports, I mean, it's amazing what you get back. I was just testing some AV gear we had in the office, and I'm like, this stuff just tells you like what it is and where it is just by hitting the broadcast. I mean, is that essentially some of the, the foundations for what you doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do a combination of like, it's similar to like password discovery, except for we generate our own traffic. So we'll send really safe, boring traffic to every protocol we can find on a given device. And then we'll look at the responses coming back and then do really clever things with the responses. So for example, we'll use like the Chromecast protocol to figure out what SSID that Chromecast is actually associated with. We can tell you what the MAC address of the device is through UPnP, through uh, all sorts of other techniques. We've got lots of ways to decode data that's not really normally visible just from standard replies off different protocols. So it's a, com it's a combination 
combination of like black magic on one side to do things like uh, remote Mac address discovery without uh, credentials um, and doing things like multi-home address detection, but also just, you know, old fashioned fingerprint development, just start from the top and work your way down to cover everything. Yeah. It's really interesting what you get. I mean, it's a lot of those are protocols that you're like, oh, it's so noisy. Like you need to exclude that from your TCP dump filter because it's so noisy, right? But for you, that's what you're you're analyzing. It's great. I love it. All the manufacturer protocols, like uh, Brother Printers, uh, Crestron mm -hmm. devices, uh, Ubiquity devices, all those like manufacturer protocol protocols are awesome for us. They give us a ton of information about the device, unauthenticated remotely. Yeah, Adrian. And so, so is Charlotte? the plan oh, then to? Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> We're all jumping in. So is the plan there then to identify and classify what it is in conjunction with with you know the fact that it exists such that you could identify issues say in versions of firmwares or what might be on the hardware? Exactly, right. So most security tools will tell you um, you know this device has these vulnerabilities, it has these protocols open, these services, it's running version, you know, 2618 of Linux kernel. It doesn't actually tell you that hey, it's a Roku or hey, it's a toaster. Like so what we really focus on is telling you what that physical device is. So we tell you like you can identify, you know, iPads, iPhones, uh, you know, printers, clinical stuff, ICS stuff, everything across the board basically. Um, and it's really helping folks not really for vulnerability management, but just to get a handle on what's out there. The two things we really try to help folks with are one, identifying what networks they actually have in use in the first place. Like having a scan that's so fast, you can actually scan all of RC 1918 every day if you want to, and it's not a big deal. It doesn't crash anything. And then once you have that, being able to identify all the assets and all the devices on the network, and then start actually doing really cool analytics on the data. Uh, so for example, you can say, how old are these devices based on the manufacturing dates, the Mac addresses? Um, what domains are all my Windows assets joined to? Which ones are not on the main corporate domain? So uh, we did a recent post about finding a duplicate SSH keys in the environment to indicate virtual machines that were being cloned or IoT devices with uh, hard-coded SSH keys in the firmware. So it's that kind of fun analysis that I really get excited about. And are you targeting predominantly the the uh, enterprise or small to small to mid-sized business? Because there's applications across the board for this. There's IoT applications. There's you know small to mid-sized business applications with regards to understanding what's in um, you know those small offices. And obviously the the full corporate version makes total sense. I mean, I could even see this being used um, you know in in consumer in, in a consumer play as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely need for it everywhere. Um, for us. The bigger, more complicated, more segmented, more annoying and broken your network is, the better for our tool to shine. We feel like uh, universities for us are amazing because they've got so many different environments, all managed by students, all managed by labs. They're just a big mess and it's great. So for us, that's a great fit. Um, our free tier covers almost every home user and small business at this point. So um, you know, just our free tier alone gives you a lot of stuff and we support pretty much the whole lower low end of the market on that side. Uh, we do focus sales typically on customers with 50,000 or more assets up to uh, about a million plus assets or 3 million assets in one case so far. Um, and a lot of our customers, the thing I'm really excited about is that our customers are actually scanning everything every day. Like it's not just a once a week or once a month true up. It's like we're actually monitoring, you know, multiple slash eights per day for one of our largest customers today. And it should you provide a, a diff of like what was new on the network every day? Because that's always been really hard to do. It's, it's definitely hard and it's hard for a lot of different reasons. It's difficult because not only can you, you have to accurately track that asset as it moves around, which phone scanners have been notoriously bad at for many years. Mm. Uh, we do that unauthenticated remotely. And we do that by uh, pulling things like the SMB2 GUID out of the registry remotely pre-off through the SMB2 protocol. Wow. We'll do things like pull the Mac outers out of uh, Cisco routers unauthenticated through version three engine ID decoding. So we do all this like crazy, crazy stuff in the back end that all it does is focus on how do we uniquely identify and track that asset. So once we can track that thing, then we can start doing diffs on analysis, like, hey, this IP change this laptop has moved from site A to site B, and that daily diff is part of every scan creates a change report, and we track it from that. 
And do you do like a, an object-based fingerprint then? Is that the kind of the methodology behind it? You identify all the different ways that you can identify that object, map it together into a fingerprint that tracks the location or the identity of that individual object? Uh, a little bit. We have um, three or four fairly solid fingerprinting techniques for unique tracking of asset. And that's like Mac Address Discovery. That's um, uh, SMB2 GUIDs. It's TLS fingerprints. It's remote desktop uh, surface fingerprinting. Uh, we've got a couple other techniques that are very protocol specific, and then we have a fall down on the IP side. So if we have, if we have no real good information about an asset, we use the TCP IP fingerprint along with things like the TCP window size, the lowest exposed port, stuff like that, just to make sure we're not matching the wrong asset, basically. Adrian, do you have a question? Oh, no, no. Uh, Tyler stole it. I was just going to point <laughs> out that uh, I've spent some quality time with uh, Rumble, and, and one of the things I loved about it is that for a gajillion years, you know, most of the asset identification that we we've seen done, you know, depends on TTL and, and and just these ancient methods that sure, yeah, it'll tell you that it's Linux, but so many things are running Linux now that that's that's beyond useless. Uh, and, mm. and even at the vulnerability scanner level, uh, you know, unless you're doing authenticated scans, uh, you know, those are terrible about telling you what kind of device you're looking at here. You know, I mean, there's thousands of devices where you could have the same web server software, you know, same Linux kernel, um, you know, but like Tyler was talking about, you know, all these niche markets and Paul was talking about with the AV gear, you know, it seems like every day, uh, you know, someone in in the Security Weekly crew uh, comes across some some new weird device, uh, you know, that that has uh, software running in it. Uh HD, you know, uh, Nmap and P0F have their engines for OS detection. Uh, you and I both work for vuln scanning companies. I felt like the detection in the commercial vuln scanning products was was a little bit, a little more mature and, and put together a few more factors. What, what? Obviously, you've seen all those open source tools and and vuln scanners. Did you create your own engines, or like what was your approach for fingerprinting? Oh, absolutely. Um, definitely started from scratch with this. The whole thing for Windows and Go, our binaries run everything from PoE cameras to, you know, Windows machines to Darwin to, you know, uh, mainframe VMs, everything else in between, Docker, anywhere, basically. So the nice thing about cross-building and not using the PCAP, but doing, you know, direct dev VPF and raw socket stuff is that we can basically build and run on almost anything regardless of the libc version. Uh, but yeah, the scan engine is custom. So one of the problems with uh, using kind of the standard scan engines is that they do a lot of tricky stuff at the TCP IP level to do fingerprinting. And then a lot of the older devices really don't like that. You'll crash older stacks, things yep, like that. Yep. So the way we do it is we have a custom SIM scanner that puts a bunch of data into the fields that get reflected back by the destination. So for example, the sequence number that Rumble sends when it sends a SIM packet to a, a TCP port actually has the encoded destination, the port number, uh, XORed with a temporary encryption key against it. And then when it reflects back to us, we knew where it came from. And that tells us everything you know, from latency to the original source address to everything else with a single packet that just looks like a valid packet but has encoded information in the packet itself. So wow. we do the same thing. You, for like, you, you must have pulled a patent on that, no? Because that, that's... I've I've never heard of that method before. I yeah, hope you. There's no patent, right? I mean, I, I don't look at patents as a matter of course, and I try yeah, not to yeah. fall and avoid it. But it, it's really neat stuff. Like, so we cool. use kinds of cool reflective techniques like that in our, in our stuff. So, like uh, another example is when we uh, send packets like ICMP, we can do an ICMP sweep of the network, and even though we get a reply back from a different IP than the one we sent it to, we know what the original destination was, and then we can link that IP back to the same source. So that's a way to determine if a particular, uh, you know, Cisco router, for example, is responding on multiple IPs and broadcast IPs, even though its main IP may be someplace else. Mm. That's really cool. That's yeah, awesome. and, and the speed of stuff coming out, Paul. Like, mm. like I, I don't, I don't see how HD would have time, you know, just watching the newsletter, you know, the new uh, <laughs> techniques and and uh, 
weird little tricks you, you you're constantly figuring out by dissecting all these weird devices and things like that uh, to figure out what what version of device it is you know how, you know like you were talking about the ssh key thing that that's generally not something that uh um, anyone would would even consider adding to an asset discovery and in, in, in management tool, uh, but that that's that's so valuable. Like knowing that hey, this, this is probably a clone of that VM, you know that that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, you're probably probably not paying for all the license keys you need to pay for or something like that. It's it's great insight. Yeah, I, I it, and I think you mentioned this to me, Adrian, because I was like, you know, over time, many of us in security come up with these little techniques for like. Well, if I trying to find this de- or find this device, I need to send a packet to the broadcast address on this port and look for this back. And you spend time reversing and just trying to figure out how that works. And it's like, well, if I were to have like a whole library of all these little uh, kind of tips and tricks, I could do a really fantastic job of enumerating stuff on the network. HG, it sounds like that's exactly what you've been working on, right? <laughs> that's the idea. And we do our best to, even though the core is an open source, we do contribute back to the open source recog framework. And that's where all the individual fingerprints go. So at least half of the fingerprints in Rumble are actually part of the recog fingerprint. And that also drives uh, the Nexpose engine, uh, Metasploit, Metasploit Pro. Um, and I believe there's a couple other products out there using recog these days too. So that oh, is that so we have yeah. all these. Sorry, HG, recon is the open source? Uh, recog. Recog, okay. Yeah, it's uh, basically an open source fingerprint database. Uh, it's probably the best uh, service fingerprint database known to man. Um, it's different from MNAP, so MNAP probably has a bigger database, but I feel like the way that Recog does it is better for uh, customizing. You can customize how the data gets used, I believe, which is, it's also under an open source license, which is great where the you know, other stuff isn't. Um, but the great thing about that is like, we have so many fingerprints now that overlap on devices. So we can, you know, we'll scan a, a printer and we'll have like 16 different fingerprints against that printer that all point to the same thing. Yeah. The cool yes. thing about that is what if we add a new protocol or we add a new discovery technique? If we just gather the fingerprint from that new probe, we can automatically generate its fingerprint match based on all the other fingerprints we already have for it. So an example of that was when we did the JARM hashes. Um, we already had so much fingerprint data for so many assets already that we could basically synthesize all the JARM fingerprints automatically by taking the JARM hash and applying it to our data set and saying which assets did it already match against and generate those fingerprints automatically. So that's be, we finally hit critical mass of fingerprinting where now we can all basically synthesize new fingerprints almost automatically. That's crazy. Well, and, That's amazing. But you're doing multi-fingerprinting too because what I always, you know, when you end map it, like it, it, it basically uses one technique for the most part depending on your flags, right? But when you get to the vulnerability scanner level, I was like, well, wait, we're like probing the system on every port and service. We need to roll all that up and then make the determination of what it is. And I'm assuming you, you go to that level, right? You're ju- not just looking at one artifact, like how the TCP IP stack behaves. You're looking at, is it running this service? What's the banner on this service? And in, in multiple, like how many factors will you run through to determine. Yeah, that's absolutely the challenge. That's the one of the problems with current tooling today is that it's really good at telling you what each individual service is, but it's not really good at telling you what that device is. Yeah. And even going one step up, okay, what devices are on what network? Are my VoIP IP phones in the are, sorry, are my IP phones in the wrong segment? Are they in the wrong VLAN? Um, where are all my load balancers located? Like where are all my NAS devices? Like we start to be able to bubble up all those bigger problems uh, that you only see once you kind of zoom out a little bit and start looking for unique, uh, you look for outliers, look for unique things that are not unique, uh, things like that. So I feel like um, a lot of vulnerability scanners collect a lot of really good data, but they're not doing a lot of top level analysis at the host level, let alone at the scan level or at the network level. Um, yeah, that's just, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Adrian, and I, I just want to highlight something um, that might have gone by uh, quickly. I, I don't know if everybody caught it earlier, but um, HD, you, you left Rapid7, you started this new thing, and and then um, 
you know, you're it's it you're still giving back to open source. Nexpos and Metasploit are still benefiting from it. You know, and I I, I think it's just worth highlighting that. Like like that's I, I think that's how we improve in InfoSec as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like like find a way to to build a, a successful company to run it, you know, but still in, in such a way that everybody can benefit uh, you know, from some of the the stuff that you're doing that can benefit uh, industry wide here, and I, I think figuring out a way to do that, you know, and and still you know run run a profitable company uh, is super important and and should be more common than it is. It's definitely tricky to get right. I, mean, I feel like um, the open core model has had its challenges lately, especially as you watch people using like the non-open source SSPL licenses and so on. Uh, we kind of went the opposite direction. We did closed core, but then open kind of periphery with fingerprints, with libraries, with go source code, things like that. Um, I really do miss working in an aquarium that was Metasploit. It was really fun just to interact with a lot of people all the time. And I get some of that by working at open source fingerprints too. And the cool thing is like that fingerprint code base started off with an Expos team back in like early 2000s. We worked on it quite a bit on the Metasploit side. We also worked on it as part of Project Sonar. Uh, so we took all the internet scanning stuff and used that to drive even more fingerprints into it. And even after leaving the company, I'm able to work with the same team again. So I, I love it. And it's all open source, it's BSD license. Um, I, I really wish there's more projects like that out there that were really designed to be cross company uh, kind of long-term efforts where everyone can connect contribute back to it and get value back out mm. well it, it seems like a lot more gets done and a lot faster with with that kind of model at, at least looking in from the outside uh you know it, it, it seems like you know just a pleasure of doing that of, of working with multiple people like the the innovation occurs more quickly and more naturally uh, I, I don't know if that's a correct observation or not Oh, that's great. That's one of the reasons I really love Metasploit too. I felt like, you know, it was kind of like the internet tip jar. Everyone kind of walked by and put a quarter in. Mm. And by the end of, you know, 10 years of working on the project, we had tons of modules, tons of coverage, every technique known to man, billions of kinds of shell code. It was just amazing to see what we eventually built one piece at a time. And so I feel like projects where you um, enable people to contribute to it really easily and you can kind of incrementally build them and they're still useful many years later. That's, that's kind of the gold <laughs> in the security market for open source. The fact that you can even achieve that is crazy because most of the time open source means three people working on it and it never gets traction. So it really (laughs) takes a dedicated level of like just continuously driving towards success. And you've done a great job on multiple projects over the years. So kudos to you, man. Oh, thank you very much. It's, it's been great working in the community and this stuff. And it definitely takes, you know, more than two to tango on this. So I'm very thankful for the Rap 17 being uh, friendly about <laughs> about our use of Recog and working together on this stuff and all of the companies that are part of the project too these days. So HD, if, if people want to start on the open source side, um, Recog, is that just fingerprints and you have to figure out how to like replay them and use them? Or is there software in there that I can run to kind of go, what's on my network? Is it, I start with Recog? Uh, so Recog is probably, uh, it's mostly just raw XML files full of regex, which no one loves. It's probably the grossest thing in the world to look at, but it works great. Mm. Um, so ways you can use Recog today, or anytime you run an Expo scan, it uses Recog. Anytime you run Metasploit framework and it does a database import or imports MMAP, it's actually running Recog against all the fingerprints that it pulls in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're building a tool yourself that pulls any kind of protocol field out, so let's say you take every HTTP server header field you see fly by the wire, you can then look that up in the Recog database against the first exit uh, re- um, match, and it'll tell you almost exactly what that device is. Mm-hmm. Same thing for HTML titles for all kinds of different protocol fields, SIP user agents, headers, um, lots of like weird esoteric protocol fields below that, MDNS replies. So if you do any kind of work right now that involves looking at protocols, whether it's working with Zeek, whether it's working with an active scanning tool, 
um, that's a quick, quick way to get started with recog. You have to glue it together yourself a little bit. Um, you know, for the free uh, version of Rumble, you can also use that to run the recog and do recog development with that as well. You can give it um, a custom development version of the XML libraries, and it'll use your dev version of fingerprints to do uh, re uh, Rumble scans as well. That's all. And now, Rumble, you have a free tier. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a free tier. So basically, you know, free for all of our, you know, anybody with less than 256 assets, which is like almost everybody, <laughs> unless you like have a ton of gear in your house. I may not qualify these days, but a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, so up to 256 responsive assets on your network, which is a lot of small businesses. And we also have a, you know, personal license. So a lot of our customers actually use it at, on their home networks as well. And a lot of our customers became customers because they started off using it in their home labs yeah. and said, hey, this is cool. Let me take it to work. So we really do kind of a bottom up sales model. We really try to um, start off trying to solve the problem first, then worry about sales later. My my home network stuff is in your in your database for sure. Oh, nice. I came in early, early, early alpha. <laughs> well, that's really helpful. Uh, thanks so much. And we had a ton of really good feedback too. So we had a, just tons of great community feedback about what's broken, what we're getting right, what we're getting wrong. Um, I think one of our funniest failures so far is we accidentally fingerprinted an entire bank's network as being full of Xboxes. They're like, what? Why, why do you think all of our teller machines are Xboxes? Like, well, Microsoft recycled the Xbox Mac address ranges, started using it for the new Surface uh, laptops instead. So you find all kinds of weird things funny. like that that pop out. That's and uh, HD, are you uh, currently funded in your new venture? Like, what's the status of the company? Just curious. <laughs> we are not disclosing anything for another month. <laughs> So it's just Rumble. That's it. You can get it for free. And if you want to take it to work, you can pay for a license. Yeah. That's awesome. HD, thank you so much for appearing on Enterprise Security Weekly. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. Good to see you guys. With that, we'll take a short break and come back with our next guest. And if my teleprompter works, I could tell you, I could tell you who that is. It's Kelly Mack. So stay tuned. <laughs> 